another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? The words that stay. When single shines the triple sun. Of your sundered and undone shall behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. This is your Dark Crystal discussion podcast on all things The Dark Crystal. I'm your host, Philip Mitchell. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. As we continue discussing about Tides of the Dark Crystal, which for those who are new to the show, I mean, this is a podcast where we discuss all about um, the Dark Crystal books and comics and and much more. And um, with this episode, we're up to uh, with Tides of the Dark Crystal, which is the third book of uh, J.M. Lee's uh, young adult uh, novel series for um, with the Dark Crystal, and we are up to chapter twelve. So today we're going to try and um, get through chapter twelve and seventeen to just sort of break it all down. So of course, you know, we've got uh, the guests on the show. So we got Nancy Gray. Nancy, just want to say thank you for being back on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. And also we've got uh, Peter M. Peter, thank you for for being here with us. Thanks. It's always a pleasure, Phil. And also we've got uh, Dom Nardi as well. So Dom, thank you for being on the show. Hi, pleasure to be here. Thanks. No worries. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll, we'll definitely um, get into uh, from chapter 12 onwards. So at the moment, like in this point, the story that it's, you know, it's now morning and Amory, uh, one of the Gelfling from the Grotten tribe, um, you know, he walks out uh, to the deck of the boat and, and Naya joins with him and he sort of like talks about sort of, yeah, how bad he felt, you know, I think in the previous couple of chapters with his sort of attempt at killing uh, Skeksa, uh, one of the Skeksis and and sort of how, um, you know, Naya was sort of a bit understanding a little bit and sort of says that at least, you know, he was sort of brave to, you know, to, to actually do that. It sort of, you know, references the time, well, earlier in the story that, you know, Amory threw the red dust at the Chamberlain, you know, so, so you know, that was a great tactic, you know, as, a, as another example that he's able to to hold the uh, the Skeksis off. So, yeah, that was just like a nice little sort of discussion that had sort of a bit of back and forth. But then we sort of come to, I guess, a bit of a surprise at this point because um, previously, I mean, they did think that they would be able to to reach, to be able to uh, talk to Aethra about, you know, trying to stay, you know, and, and fight for the Gelfling. Because I think her, her plan was that her and her tribe and, and Skeksa, they're all just going to leave, leave their home. Yeah, just sort, of, just sort of abandon all the Gelflings and stuff. And they thought that they would have time to sort of convince her to stay. And they thought that they had till sunset to, to leave, but then they saw that her ship was actually like, you know, leaving, de- departing the shore, like in the morning. So yeah, that was a bit of a moment where they had to yeah quickly get onto, um, Annika's boat going and, and heading towards, uh, the Amira, uh, the ship, which they, you know, of course they ex- successfully get to the boat and, um, approach to, to convince Air 3. And I think, you know, this is, um, one of those moments where, yeah, I mean, Annika, you know, has a conversation with Air 3 
I, I, don't, I don't know just your thoughts uh, about it, uh, Nancy, Peter and Dom, but it does seem like that Onika and Aethra, they have a very strong, I don't know, like a passionate relationship, uh, whether, you know, that, whether it's just a very deep friendship or whether there's, you know, more, more to it. Um, I'd just love to know your thoughts about that. I got that they had a very close relationship, Ethri and um, Annika, but Annika, I think, has a closer relationship with Tavra. But I think it's almost like a closeness, almost like um, I got more of a sisterly closeness with this to me. You know, like they've been that they've been friends for such a long time, and she's if anybody can convince her, the only one who really can is Annika. Tavra, I got the feeling, was actually her partner. That comes up a little bit later. But yeah, I think definitely, yeah. I mean, as we sort of get forward into the story, that there are things more between uh, with, with, yeah, with Wanaka and Tavra, yeah. yeah. They seem to enjoy spending quiet time together, uh, which we don't see much of in the other characters unless we're actually there, you know, as the, the reader, you know, the narrator's looking over their shoulder. Whereas Annika and Tavra get the quiet time aside that we don't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, because I guess like with all the main characters, yeah, they're always sort of chatting in a in a group and and whatnot. It's sort of very rare when we see them, um, you know, by themselves. And I mean, that is true. I guess like early in the chapter with um, Amory and Naya, that they sort of had their alone time to actually chat, you know, without other people you know with the other gelflings so so which is really cool and of course yeah so tay pretty much uh, persuades air three to you know at least you know let's look at the the flames of the old ways i think as she <laughs> said and see what signs would be given to them and um sort of see what the flames with the far dreaming whether they should flee or whether to stay and i think as air three say like let's see what the future says so I think, you know, as we sort of lead to with chapter 13, that on the, on, on the Amira, um, so we got Aethry, um, Onika, Amri, Naya, and Tay, um, they begin the far dreaming process. Uh, so this part, it was interesting that, you know, Onika mentions about the seven Mordra, that it seems like, you know, each clan means, you know, um, the different things like wind, lightning, uh, light, earth, shadow, water, and fire. So I, I kind of had a little bit of fun trying to work out, you know, which which clan represents, you know, which different things. I, I actually did get, get a chance to chat to um, J.M. Lee, you know, about this to Joe. And I was just curious about, you know, I don't think he could reveal what which one represents, but he did. The only thing he mentioned was that the order matters, but I'm not too sure whether it's, a, you know, from importance from top to bottom or bottom to top. So, you know, sort of... Um, so, yeah, I mean, I also had a bit of fun trying to work out, like, what each clan means. So, uh, so I mean, like, for for example, like, I put wind for the Dowsing clan, lightning for stone in the wood, light for vapor, earth for drenching, sort of swampy sog sort of thing, shadow, grotten, water, the Siva clan, and fire for spriten. So that's sort of, yeah, like when I was, uh, yeah, you know, looking at it and, yeah, playing along with that. and So, I mean, it'll be interesting, when, you know, once we get to, you know, the Flames of Dark Crystal or maybe even in Age of Resistance um, where they sort of reveal sort of, you know, which one, you know, which clan represents that certain element. So is it going to be like Avatar The Last Airbender where you have to get Earth, Wind, Fire and Air 
or whatever and like get them all com or water and like, get them all like together and get you know then you get like your you become the avatar and you get superpowers um i mean i i guess yeah uh, to some extent that is i guess what the i maybe what it's implying i don't know if it's I don't think it's necessarily like you become the avatar and you get superpowers if you combine all those together. But, um, you know, in, in, in mythological systems where they have um, an emphasis on the different types of different types of matter, like, you know, earth, water, air, fire, it's usually mm -hmm. there's usually a, a, a point in the mythology where combining those elements makes the whole stronger that and that's maybe that's maybe where this is going like combining the the, the different gelfling clans um what mm. is you know makes it stronger whereas separately they're not but i don't know this could or this this could just be a very different uh, cosmology too with um mm -hmm. yeah this is um uh, my brain keeps running over and over the thought of it actually, you know, the order being significant, but um, I'm wondering if that's like in the order that they join, actually join, or if it's like maybe um, maybe it has to, um, maybe um, like you said, the elements actually have to combine in a certain order or something like that. Maybe there has something to do with... Um, the cosmology of the universe, you know? Well, yeah. Uh, just knowing J.M. Lee, at the end of it all, we're going to go, oh, right. Yeah. I, we should have seen it all along. That makes total sense, which is, you know, wonderful. Oh, definitely, yeah. We, we have Flames of the mm -hmm. Dark Crystal, of course. And, and actually, um, I mean, sort of as a sidetrack, I know, um, you know, as, we're re as we are recording the show, um, they did reveal the, the front cover for um, Flames of the Dark Crystal, um, which, yeah, Arthur was, yeah, pretty, pretty spectacular cover. I really love it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's hot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Just to, so one thing I noticed, and, and, and maybe, maybe uh, Philip, you said this correctly, and I apologize, but. Um, just looking, looking in the chapter, the first time I see this, these these pairings mentioned, it's wind, fire, earth, and rain. Which, so if we're thinking about the order, that's interesting. But it's also it's also paired at least, and uh, this is page one thirty one of the book. Um, it's paired with wind and fire as a pair, and then comma, earth and rain as a separate pair. It's not just it's not just the it's not just that there's an order, but it's like wind and fire seem to be paired up, and it's earth and rain as opposed to earth and water, which mm. is what I would have expected. Um, and when you're you know when you're doing when you know, when you have these sorts of like avatar elements, so I don't I don't really know what to make of that yet because rain, you know, water is a more general description of the element but rain is very specific rain comes from the sky um mm -hmm. you know and it i don't know if that's i'm reading too much into that sorry uh, it could be because they're complementary they yeah you know, feed yeah to each other as part of cycles mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
I don't know if this is significant or not, but on 133, when it does that, it also has wind, lightning, light, period, earth, shadow, water, fire, period, which yeah. I'm kind of surprised that's broken up that way because you could just do a comma and, you know, list them all, all but I don't know. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be interesting to see what this is about. And of course, like, um, I mean, in this far dreaming, um, that Amory, like he sees a, I think, yeah, a Gelfling, um, carrying a glowing white object, you know, within this Gelfling's hands, I think, you know, as it's described, I think it says, uh, the fire heaved a, a vision consumed Amory, like a living creature swallowing his mind. He saw the hearth fire, the silhouette of a Gelfling standing before it, uh, something glowing white from within his fist. So, yeah, I mean, that, that part was really interesting, whether, like, with this far dreaming... Because, I, mean, I mean, with this far dreaming, they're able to sort of see into the future, but whether he's actually seeing visions of Jen or, or maybe even, a, you know, a different character with the shard. I mean, you know, whether it could be, you know, Rian or that sort of thing. So I found that very interesting when reading, you know, this... You know, just presuming the glowing white could... I don't know whether that could be the um you know the crystal shard that sort of thing yeah and of course in this um you know far dreaming you know yeah so so sort of seeing visions of the future and then out of the shadows we see gelfling bearing torches and sort of another example with this far dreaming where it mentioned about uh yeah from beyond came voices voices in song like instruments wind and lightning um a blazing star in the, in the sky when i was reading that the first thing i was thinking of was um Ronib. As we know that, you know, Ronab sort of fell from the sky, you know, from a star sort of rock formation sort of thing, whether that's sort of an interpret. But then, I mean, you know, this far dream is usually from the future. I don't think this, if the far dreaming has been done, you know, uh, of the past, but then of the past, you have dream fasting. So I guess that probably wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't work. Moving on. So they read the fires of resistance from the dream etchings. They see the two fires being lit in this far dreaming, you know, from the vapor and the sea far. So presuming that, you know, two out of the seven fires are completed now. And then from there, it sort of ends. And um, Ethri, yeah, then decides to fight against the Skeksis and, and returns back to Serena. Um, so just sort of a bit of a victory, I guess, you know, for the... <laughs> it definitely looks like the Sifa have joined, but... I'd, for me, it's still kind of up in the air with the Vapra. And the Sifa, now they've got to confront um, the Skeksis, the um, the Mariner. And it makes me think to myself, I am wondering how that went. That's what's killing me, is that they leave before they find out what yep. that confrontation is like. Because... Yeah, they might right now have lit the fire of rebellion, but when you're actually faced with one that you have to, who will be probably disappointed in their decision, uh, who knows? That's why I was wondering about if it was the order of the clans that joined, because it's like, I, I we think that they have, and it certainly looks like it, the way that, um, you know, they're all lighting the fire and they're all definitely for the decision to go back but it's one of those things where i'm like but really will they when they're finally confronted with that but 
We'll have to see. I know that um, Amory himself has a lot of speculation on what it means to actually later, what it means to actually be lighting a fire of rebellion. And it's such a symbolic thing that it's not a straightforward answer because all the visions, he's getting frustrated with all the visions and um, the things that Augur tell, tells them that just aren't clear cut and, you know, aren't straightforward. Yeah, so as is always the case with Augur, that, um, yeah, things can be up to, you know, many interpretations or may not make sense at the time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, pretty much, you know, they return back to shore and, I think as they arrive, you know, some we see someone stealing um, Tavrite in a glass jar. And, of course, we do, you know, just a little moment where Amory sort of chases after him and and sees that it's a Dowson Galfling. And, you know, Amory gets a stone thrown at him by the Dowson Galfling and falls. And now I was able to sort of grab him and, and stop him from stealing Tavra. And I think as we sort of, you know, we get introduced to him, uh, his name is Paris. And I mean, this was something, yeah, when I was trying to think about, you know, with his character at the time, whether, you know, whether he was working for Skeksar or because he also stole um, Tay's jewellery as well, um, as we as we find out. I had to be with Nayo on uh, this one. Um, they, they should have hauled him over and um, turned him in. <laughs> I didn't understand why they didn't. I'm like, he's got Tay's jewellery and you didn't return that. He didn't return that. And he's trying to blackmail you into passage on his ship. <laughs> I think I think you've got the upper hand since you're the one who caught him and you could turn him in. I I, I would I would be like, well, we could turn you in, but if you give us passage on your ship, maybe we can. <laughs> See, that's that was actually refreshing to me because they weren't that devious, so that speaks very well of the group that they didn't go there. They just went, oh, well, what's what's the more upright thing we can do to deal with this situation, which I loved. Yeah, but giving him the furka and things like that, I was like, it, it was the more upright thing to do, but they also didn't return Ty's jewelry. Keep in mind that he still got away with stealing from the other Gelfling, and maybe it would be more devious to to use that against him, but at the same time... I felt like the fact he was taking the their most prized possessions from them in exchange for doing this and got away scot-free with stealing from them and stealing from the others. It just seemed like it, it just seemed like to me, I was like, I don't understand why they didn't turn him in They They don't know him. They don't have any reason to trust him, especially knowing he's a thief Maybe that's the Gelfling na naivety thing, because they do say that they're kind of innocent and naive at times, but I just thought that was kind of strange, because they don't know I, he could have been working for one of the Skeksis. I'm, I'm going to go with the writer instinct of me that says this shows to the reader on a level we can understand that they're willing to sacrifice in order to accomplish their goals. So yeah. I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> I do understand the the purpose behind the sacrificing for their goals thing. But at the same time, by turning in the dagger, now you're unarmed. And by turning in the furka, you don't know if the furka is going to come in handy again. 
I, they're assuming that it's not going to, that the whole purpose behind the FERCA was to, you know, use the pedals. But if another opportunity presented itself like that, he wouldn't be able to do that with just a normal FERCA. Yeah, so I guess I, I saw Paris a bit differently in that, um, you know, he, he is a troublemaker. I never got the sense that he was evil, though, or or actively helping the Skeksis. I mean, he, 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 he came across as um, like a rebel without a cause, um, a like a James Dean type. Yeah. yeah, like a James Dean type, like a scoundrel, you know, somebody out for himself, somebody with maybe a chip on his shoulder or something to prove, but I just, like, I didn't, I didn't think he was evil enough to justify threatening him. And there's a really great line from Lord of the Rings um, when Gandalf is talking to Frodo about Gollum, and uh, Frodo says, "Oh, you know, I wish, you know, I wish, I wish Bilbo had killed Gollum. He's such a vile creature." And Gandalf says, "You know, Bilbo had pity on Gollum. You know, is pity pity stayed Bilbo's hand when he yeah. confronted Gollum?" And you know, I think that's supposed to show that, like. The, your hero characters, the people of good moral fiber, you know, are supposed to. It's 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 praiseworthy for them to recognize the humanity in in people who have maybe fallen a bit or maybe resort to you know, petty criminality. You know, not not like the not the big bads, not the evil characters, but you know, people like Paris who, you know, he's committing small crime like. I think there's something to be said for you know, just treating that not not treating him too harshly. Well, I don't honestly think that they would have killed him even if they turned him in. I mean, I just get the feeling. I mean, he's he, this character was very unlikable for me. I mean, he was even going to sell water to Nea because her skin was drying out and which could po possibly destroy her wings. Oh, I'll give you a good price for it. Well, I just gave you my only decent possession. What exactly is the price that, you know, <laughs> that he's expecting her to pay? I don't, I don't know. This is... I'm not trying to disagree with jo Joey because he is a great, he's a great writer. I just did. That was the one thing I didn't understand was I was like, the deal just seems so one-sided and now you're kind of at this guy's mercy also. And uh, anyway, that, that's yeah. just my Cause opinion. I mean, that, that was a problem. Like, I mean, cause he was the only Dowson at the time and sort of like, he was sort of like the only one who would be able to, um, to take him, take him over to, to their tribe to you know to to convince them to join the fires of resistance uh you know i just love that quote for example when he says you know congratulations my friend you've just brought yourselves a one-way trip into the desert of death and then sort of after that i was like they might be screwed if they can't return back now like yeah because they, they have nothing left to trade to go back <laughs> but it's like but and, and i'm like well but they'll probably get another they'll probably try and find another sailor or, or whoever the dowsing clan to return back afterwards but you know sort of wait and see and um I, I mean actually i mean when i was like reading like i was actually sort of reading him uh with paris's character so he's like the dj author of course you know dj from star wars the last 
uh, Jedi. Just more that, like, at, like at this point of time. Oh, that's what yeah. you meant. I thought you, I thought you meant like the disc. Oh, uh, right. The, <laughs> yeah. No, he was, um, yeah, my notes. I, I wrote, I felt like he was the DJ of Thra. I just, just with, yeah, when I was, like, reading his character, just sort of because I could, did kind of feel like, you know, he could go, you know, change over from both sides. You know, he might have other intentions and all that kind of stuff. So that was just like a little, yeah, little thing I was sort of thinking at the time. So of course, you know, we, we get up to chapter 14 now and as you know, they, they make the deal with Paris, you know, giving him Kylan's Verker and Nea's dagger and as well as the far dreaming session, which is sort of this chapter is pretty much all about, you know, as it's a two day ride to re uh, to reach Dowson's clan, um, I think as I was working out just timeline-wise, this chapter takes place half the day. And of course, you know, Paris wanted to get his fortune telling told by Onika. He just wanted to know about love, um, if he, you know, if he'd be able to find love. And uh, Onika sort of says, uh, you know, he should be looking within his clan and not outside. But then the bones that were in, in this, because um, I had these like bones and sort of other things that were sort of in this soup cup um, that was used for this sort of fortune telling session, but then it sort of sort of ends pretty quickly because with the vehicle moving at the time, you know, a bit of a bump that <laughs> the fortune telling kind of ended kind of quick. That was, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's, you shouldn't ask for bone readings on a moving sand <laughs> Yeah. I yeah, actually, exactly. Yeah. I, I laughed when I read that. Like, yeah, perfect timing. That's Annika. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was it was a great little like humor moment um, within that chapter. Um, you know, out of you know, I mean, it is sort of good like in stories that you know when you have all the serious situations that occur within the story to have some lighthearted sort of you know funny little moments sort of to um, to to have that bit of a break and all that kind of stuff was kind of it was really nice. And, and, and yeah, so overall, like, you know, that part of the deal is now sorted. So pretty much what's left is now the possession of Kylan's Furka and Naya's um, dagger. And um, of course, you know, um, Kylan didn't, didn't really like giving, you know, the Furka to him. Uh, but Naya was sort of, she, I mean, she's sort of okay with the dagger because she knows that she's given her dagger on a couple of occasions before from her you know previous adventures so she was a bit more accepting with um giving her giving paris uh the dagger and and that was one of those things where it's like i think on darkcrystal.com i think in the timeline they described the furka as jen's that jen's furka being forged which i think there was that sort of connection that kylan's furka ends up going to jen so i mean that was the thing at the time i when i was surprised that it went to Paris because I'm like oh I wonder how you know this Furka ends up getting to to Jen if it if it is actually you know connected in that way I'll be honest I kind of hope he we don't like get the the story of how Jen gets the Furka um yeah I think there's something to be said for when you know when franchises have time fiction when they leave some mystery behind you know, like I like in Star Wars, you know, it's like I kind of want, yeah, like let you know, let let there be some space in between the stories for kids with their Star Wars figures to play with their own imagination and fill in the gaps. Like I don't, but like, I, th- I think it's cool to see. I think it's it's cool to see like the Furka has a history 
that is imbued with greater meaning. But like, you know, mm-hmm. just don't like don't we don't need to see every point in it, the Faruka's history from here until the movie. Yeah, I'm with Dom mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. That might be a decision that uh, the Jim Henson company has to make, though. I get the feeling whether they oh, want yeah, that's about that Jim information. Lee. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in the end, so Naya asks if Anika did really read his fortune and and she did read his bones, but just, just not in the cup. Um, so, sort of ends that little <laughs> funny moment in chapter 14. I liked that too. That she was more like she was reading him and not reading the bones <laughs> to him in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, like at least that was sort of one part of the deal was done. And yeah, sort of, I mean, you know, as we sort of get to um, chapter 15 and of course, you know, being a two-day journey, um, Amory takes the first night watch during, you know, the travels, which I mean, makes sense because, I mean, he's a grotten guffling and sort of always used to nighttime or in the shadows a lot more. So, and and again, we sort of get another chat between, you know, a quiet moment between Amory and, and Naya. Yeah, I mean, it really seems like we, we've tied some. There's a lot of, like, um, sort of downtime for the characters to sort of, you know, chat, you know, have the, these quiet moments, which I think, yeah, which has been, which is pretty cool. And, of course, you know, Amory, Am- uh, oh, sorry, I, I should say, uh, Naya mentions about that she had a dream that she had that she was being in this dream that she was, you know, from her brother's, um, Gurgen's point of view, and finding some kind of bad news about, you know, from their mother. And of course, you know, Amory says, oh, it's just a dream, dream, dream. And and at, at this time, you know, it this could be something that, you know, did seem to, you know, imply, you know, possible foreshadowing. But I think, you know, as we probably find out uh, much later on in the story for certain. So, yeah, pretty much after that moment, you know, he goes to sleep in the cabin and, and then pretty seemed like pretty instant that, you know, merely wakes up to the storms approaching and also uh, they come across um, the crystal skimmers. They're sort of like these big sort of beast-like characters that sort of, you know, swim within the deserts and that sort of thing. So, and it was interesting, you know, that, you know, like they're not really, I mean, beasts because, I mean, Paris, because I think as part of the Dowson clan, they, they know the crystal skimmers, so... You know, Paris, you know, knew one of the crystal skimmers is Hanja. And, um, and I think they realized that one of the skimmers was um, somehow attached itself uh, to the harness uh, from the skiff. So, you know, we, we, in this, you know, this point, Onika and Paris was sort of, they realized they need to cut the rope to free the creature. And which, I mean, sort of Onika then gets sort of snagged by the creature, which sort of causes a little sort of a bit of a chase to sort of, follow the creature to get Annika back. And yeah, and, and we sort of get this moment where Paris suggests that, you know, Annika must fly down to them to get out. But but then, you know, of course, I mean, Tavro mentions that, you know, Annika can't do that because because Annika lost her wings in a storm long ago. And so the skimmer has Annika on its on, on its mouth. And Naya decides, yeah, it's sort of a bit of a moment where Naya decides to go help Annika with her wings, you know, be able to fly. But of course, Kylan sort of protests. But then, sort of, you know, Amory sort of decides to sort of take up the mantle in this case as he um, goes and, you know, finds these like planks of wood from deck and, and rope to sort of actually create wings for him <laughs> to, to fly to um, 
to get to Onika. Out of uh, curiosity, what does did anyone have any images of what they what real life creature these might have looked like? I honestly got the feeling they were almost like manta rays or stingrays or something. Um, but that's just because they said diamond-shaped uh, bodies, except for the mane and the barbed tail. It just made me, well, actually, even the barbed tail made me think about stingrays. And the fact that it's the, the you know, this is the actual, it's like a sea of, um, a sea of crystal, and they actually are diving beneath it almost like fish. I'm... That was just an image I got. Yeah, I I actually tried not to define it too much, but I got the idea of uh, kind of a flatter shark with wider delta fins on either side. Um, but I found it fascinating that J.M. Lee decided to go with these creatures and Sans gifts instead of just, you know, one or the other. So he gives us mm -hmm. both perspectives. I mean, that, that was the thing. Like, I, I was actually trying to remember if there was, like, any images of the crystal skimmers and i don't think there is like i know that there was an image that we do see of um of amory you know sort of flying down to uh, you know as he tries to rescue um onikar and and this image you know sort of has um the the spider of course with um with tavra i think in this moment where um uh tavra sort of does a bit of dream fasting with um amory i think more to control being able to to fly very well and and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty awesome. Like if they, you know, show what that look like on age of resistance, if, you know, if, if we ever get to see, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing, that'd be pretty awesome. So moving on. Um, so yeah, Amory sort of, you know, goes to fly down and, and then Tavra of course is with him to help him control the wings and they dream fast. And, you know, as Tavra, you know, as Amory sort of says, Tavra, do it, you know, do what you did before on Skeksis ship, uh, take over my body so we can save Onika. And I think this was the thing. I think I think I think in the previous episodes where uh, I think I was a bit un, uh, uncertain about you know whether Tavra did take over his body you know in his attempt to kill Skeksar, and this pretty much sort of confirms it. So it gives kind of cool to know. And so you know at this point um, you know the dream fast happens and we do get to see this little little story about Onika and Tay um, that they were sort of like in a little boat. Um, that got torn apart by the storm and Tavra was with them at the time. Yeah, you know, as Onika, as Tavra mentioned that Onika, Onika's wings were destroyed from the storm, uh, though Tavra was able to save them both um, using her wings as protection for them both, which then, which then sort of dream fast to, you know, another point of time where Tavra and Onika just sort of described it at a misty shore and talking about, you know, wanting to be together. So again, I think this really hints, yeah, I mean, especially with Tavra and Onika, that there is much more to them, um, potentially, I think, you know, is the case. But then, of course, I mean, the dream fasting then ends and they manage to get Onika and uh, land on the desert, you know, and as Amri and Onika, you know, they're trying to look around and they can't see Nao in the skiff. But then they, sort of, they, they actually get sort of <laughs> eaten by the crystal skimmer which I remember, like, at the time, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, oh, what? They're gone? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that made yeah, me sorry. jump for the chapter immediately. <laughs> like, oh, um, okay. Can't stop there. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I was really but... shocked by the fact... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, um, I was really shocked by... Um, uh, maybe not shocked, but 
uh, Tapra's power to take over another being and control them, I think kind of is worth pausing on a bit because controlling another another sentient being is usually a power reserved for villains. Like you kind of dipping back into Tolkien again, like that's the one of the ultimate evils, using the ring to command others to do your will. Um, and I know, I know in this instance, it was, it was used, uh, willingly, um, and it was used for, um, you know, for a, a good purpose. But I wonder if, I don't know, I wonder if there's maybe, there's maybe potential for that to be used for a darker purpose or if there's, um, if, if Tavra will get corrupted by that, because that's often in, in, in many stories, that's what happens. And you have the power to control others. You either end up getting corrupted by that power and fall, you know, and use it for, for misdeeds, or you have to come to a choice and give up that power. Well, the only reason she's got it is because that was the power those spiders had in the first place. But, um, yeah, she didn't even know she could do it until, uh, she tried to do to stop him so i don't think it's going to corrupt her i think it's just a result of her being in the spider's body but honestly i get the feeling she would give it up if she could be in her old body again or you know be in any other type of form than she is right now but um yeah i mean this this particular instance he actually asked her to do it so i didn't feel that there was anything in the, in this particular part, there was nothing wrong with her doing that to you know to help him with the flying. But oh right, was... yeah, this is a consensual incident. Yeah, mm-hmm. just I'm just wondering more about the future and you know, where mm-hmm. it leads from here. Mm-hmm. I I have some opinions on that, and I'll be brief. But <clears throat> it's the old all gifts have a price. So what the characters are doing, and we see them do it over and over, is I have this thing now. How do I make use of it, and how do I justify the cost? So mm-hmm. in Tavra's case, she's discovered she has this gift, and it doesn't yet have a cost, but it also gives her an advantage. Instead of just being you know, a little crystal spider who can talk and give good advice, she can actually take action through Amory's body, which well, I think well, is great, but that's probably going to have a price. I feel like she already paid the price. Because well, she yes, lost, <laughs> she lost her body, and honestly, this is another storyteller thing. It wouldn't do much good for her to just be able to give advice in the spider's body. She has to have something that she can do to contribute, or else. That's my point. Yeah. So yeah. with prices ongoing, I mean, she could have paid the price with her life, and you know that would have been it. But because she's an active character, she's taking part in participating and contributing in the adventure. Uh, the choices and prices still apply to her. So for Amory, his cost uh, doesn't seem to be too high at the moment. Um, we see him, you know, he, he's a cave dweller and he's out in bright sunshine all the time. We don't see him paying a heavy price for that. He seems to be adapting. Um, whereas uh, with the other characters... Uh, you know, we have uh, a, a swamp dweller. Uh, she's, you know, doing okay in the desert, but she's not, you know, underneath a sopping pile of wet blankets groaning because there's no water elsewhere. 
So, you know, the prices have been fairly gentle overall. I mean, nobody's lost a limb and had to continue without it. So I'm, I'm very curious as to what's coming up. That's going to be some very hard choices. You know, the um, we have to leave somebody behind to hold the door so the rest of us can survive trope. So that, that yeah. has yet to come up. <laughs> and I mean, talking about, you know, this with surviving um, aspect, I think as we sort of get into chapter 16, we actually find out that everyone's alive inside the skimmer. So with Naya and Paris, Tavra, Amri, Annika and Kylan. So, yeah, I mean, which is interesting that, uh, you know, as we find out. So, I mean, you know, we find out that Annika has been healed up, of course, you know, thanks to, to Naya with um, the Valaya Gulfling magic. And I think mentions about the Sandmaster, um, Eremon, being impressed by Amri's talents, you know, as he you know flew down and tried to save Annika. And, uh, and then Amri asks where they were and, and then that's when Naya sort of reveals that, you know, they're in, in a female uh, crystal skimmer uh, called a tapper. So, yeah, I, I just find this like a really interesting, yeah, being able to sort of travel not only on skiffs, but also on, sk- on the crystal skimmers. Yeah. Am I the only one who thinks? Thankfully, it seems they have a good relationship with this particular creature, but I just thought it was kind of like with the uh, Skeksy ship and stuff. It just seems kind of cruel to me. <laughs> At least with her, she was killing, like, the parasites inside of the giant, you know, turtle and stuff like that. But it's like, with this, it's just like, I don't know. I've seen this in anime a lot. And it's one of those things that I'm like, ethically, it just doesn't seem right to hitch a ride inside of a creature. but uh, And, you know, be able to control it that way. But, you know, apparently they have some sort of decent relationship with it i'm wondering what they do that might maybe it's like a symbiotic thing maybe they do something for it that helps it i don't know though i didn't uh, they didn't uh, go into that but i was just curious about that because it just seems like kind of a moral quandary to me i'm like i don't know it just seems kind of uh you know not strange but just kind of if if the animal seemed to be suffering, I would have considered it bad. But since it doesn't, um, I guess it's okay. <laughs> it's just one of these things. I'm like, oh, more th- people traveling inside of creatures again. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I, I felt I felt somewhat the same way. Um, you know, but on the other hand, I also, you know, I also wonder uh, how horses feel. In our world, when we ride on we ride on their backs, I mean, like we don't we don't get signed consent forms every time we we ride a horse, and not to get too dark, but then you know horses are at least domesticated animals that are bred to uh, have compliant personalities. But there are some animals that are not are not domesticated and cannot be dis- domesticated, like elephants. Yeah, we you know there are some parts of the world where uh, people ride elephants or use elephants for labor, and that requires breaking them. Um, yeah, so I think it does yeah. maybe it does it does I guess depend a bit on the process of whether the, the skimmers are able to be domesticated. So you know, they're they're bred to have a temperament that you know is compliant and you know have a, a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship, or if this involve, involves breaking the animal, but. 
don't know. I don't. I, I just. I'm, I don't know if dolphins end up breaking skimmers. I'm guessing that they probably bred them to have a more docile personality, because even the one that attacked their um, ship, he was saying he recognized and was trying to get it to snap out of it. So. That's the way I kind of justified this one, because I was like, well, maybe they bred them to do this, and it doesn't seem to be suffering or anything like that. So it just was it just was one of those things that always, I'm always, when I see it in an anime or something, I'm like, eh. <laughs> Especially if they're, like, poking the brain or something like that to get it to go. But in this case, it seems like they... Well, I couldn't really get the idea of how they were controlling where it went either, other than kind of they say when it reaches its destination that it, um, you know, nice and easy for our guest, nice spiral type thing. But um, I didn't quite get to how they were controlling it either. But I, th- I just think that's really interesting, and it would be good if um, – I don't think they're going to go into it in this book, but it just leaves a lot of uh, in- interesting questions and things like that. But that's okay. We can't go into everything like that in the book or else it would be super, super long. And and some people may not find it interesting. I just find that stuff interesting because the creatures in the book are interesting. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, every creature that we've come across is, yeah, you know, yeah, has been very interesting. Uh, whereas, you know, the very first creature from, from Shadows onto, yeah, onto the, um, the Crystal Skimmer. No, which has been really cool. And I think we sort of get revealed that I think with the Dowson clan, uh, that they actually split up into 12, that they pretty much like have groups uh, within their own clans, which they call them, I think they call each group like a Xerix, which each one is led by a Sandmaster. So I actually found that really interesting because I, I mean, it does make me think, you know, if other clans, you know, have their own groups as well. So that was sort of something that, yeah, like... I'd be curious about whether that's the case with the other clans or whether the Dowson and other young clans that sort of, you know, are very kind of spread apart or, you know, have their own sort of groups within the clans. As they find out um, that they, the Dowson clan, that they did receive the dream stitching message, you know, from the petals. And they have noticed that the skimmers have sort of become dark. And I think as Naya says, the darkened veins must have reached the desert. Uh, the skimmers saw the pain of the crystal and were consumed by it. This is horrible. I can't believe it's already spread this far. And of course, Sandmaster um, Araman, he believes in the story about the message. And and also, I mean, this is a nice little reveal that we find out that um, Araman and, and Paris are, are brothers. So that was kind of a nice sort of, you know, reunion <laughs> between them two. And yeah, the, and like they're pretty much close to reaching, the, you know, the destination. They've, you know, passed through the storms for now. And, and I think the destination, you know, to the... Um, which they're heading to the um, Oasis Valley is on the other side of the mountain. And of course, I mean, Amri has concerns about the storm entering the valley, which, you know, the Dowson clan, they're like, ah, oh, you know, it's never happened before. So, you know, it, it won't happen. And of course, you know, I mean, Aramid did found out about the trade that, <laughs> that Naya and Kylan had to give up their dagger and Furka in exchange for transportation to the valley, which then sort of pretty much, they pretty much, <laughs> Aramid pretty much forced, um, uh, Paris to return the dagger but of course he still wants to keep the furka in exchange for repairs that that will be needed for his skiff sort of thing so so you know Nate is a bit sad about the furka but Kylan mentioned that he's like oh you know he'll make another one um that it's had its purpose so sort of yeah Kylan will sort of be able to to sort of let 
go, yeah, I mean, with the Furka, because at the time he wasn't very, very happy. And yeah, so. I get the feeling he is not going to sell it for repairs, though. I think he wants it possibly for personal reasons or something like that, because they did mention later that he still has it dangling on his belt, which made, you know, which made uh, them feel a little bit better that it wasn't gone yet. But hard to say. And in this chapter, we actually get to learn a bit about Paris. Um, we find out that he actually um, left his home three years ago and sort of his, his first theft was um, his brother's uh, skiff, or Ehrman's uh, skiff. Um, always been discontent with the Dowson way. So that was sort of, you know, just a little bit of getting to know Paris a little bit. And that sort of, you know, he sort of just grew up in his thieving ways and all that kind of stuff. And then sort of, you know, with that, I mean... Onika uh, is now awake. It's all, all good, pretty much. And, you know, she thanks Amory for rescuing her. But, you know, of course, you know, Amory credits Tavra because, of, of course, you know, her knowledge of flight and navigating the air sort of, you know, was definitely a factor with saving Onika. And Amory sort of mentions about the dream fasting between Tay and Onika in the storm caused her to not lose her wings and scarred to the point that they no longer work. And, and yeah, and so Annika sort of, you know, just sort of tells her story about it all from her point of view. Yeah, I mean, she mentions that, you know, she had a dream before I met Tavra that a sun and a moon would eclipse over a storm at sea. And, and in the dream, Tay was the sun and a silver-haired vapor was the moon. And uh, Tay was excited to go to find a silverling to whom she would be bound. Again, you know, so hinting, I think, with silverling, you know, being with vapor, I think, Annika says, I was worried that we would find danger by running off to find my far dream. But she and Aether had told me not to be afraid. And Tay, Tay and, her, and I went in search of bad weather near Harar. And we found a storm indeed. And um, that's when, you know, the storm happened in that small boat. Uh, yeah, which, um, you know, yeah, caused, yeah, you know, because of the the strength of the storm that caused Annika to lose her wings and Tavra to, to save them both in that regard. So, I mean, after, of course, after that story, you know, they, they arrive, they arrive at the Wellsprings, um, where all the 12 groups, they're all gathered together because of course, with the recent news about the message that Kylan had, uh, spread all over, uh, Thra with, with the pedals and the, the dream stitching sort of thing. And yeah, and pretty much the Wellspring is sort of where pretty much all the, ga- all the Dowson, uh, Galflings come together in times of trouble uh, to meditate and yeah like they haven't um lit the flames of resistance yet from their end i think they're you know they mentioned that they were sort of awaiting for the arrival of mordra sethi but eremon does believe in their story overall and this pretty much you know sort of ends with them just sort of staying over for the night in one of the tents with, the, with their main characters yeah and then sort of amory just sort of thinks you know about that something's not right and yeah, I think, you know, with Amory being really concerned about, you know, the storm and whether it would hit the well springs and into the valley and, and whatnot, yeah. As we get to chapter 17, you know, the, you know, they're at the beach chatting. They're still unsure what lying in the fires mean. Um, I think uh, Kylan sort of mentions that, you know, we don't know anything about that writing that appeared on the deck of the Amira or the colours of the fire. Uh, I don't deny that something special happened, but why there? Why then? So, yeah, you know, in this point of the story that they're still basically unsure what the fire's resistance means. 
you know, while the Mordor of Vapra, um, you know, said that she will light the flames and also the Sifa clan uh, to support the Galflings, um, they don't seem to have lit anything. There hasn't been any sort of strong indication whether they have done so. So it just seems like, yeah, uh, you know, as we sort of continue on, that everyone's sort of still kind of confused about it, about it all. Yeah, this goes back to what I was saying, because we don't know what happened after they left, because they turned their ships around and went back to the Siva, turned their ships around and acted like they were definitely going to support the Gelfling, but we never saw what happened after that when they had to confront, you know, the Mariner. And there's all sorts of things going going on, like that dream that uh, Nea had about, you know, something bad happening in Sog. And so they may not even be able to count on um, them. And the Vapra, it's still been up in the air, even though Tavra keeps insisting, yes, yeah, she's going to do the right thing in the end. I just get the feeling she's not initially. <laughs> I don't know what the cat list for change is going to be but it's going to be one of those things that I, I can see why Emery is frustrated at this point because now they're finally here with the uh, Dawson clan and you know they're all, all going to do this big ritual to speak to Thra just like they've been doing with the other clans and I think he honestly is getting kind of frustrated with the whole ritual sort of thing, even though it's important that they converse with Thra and find out, you know, what to do. They clearly believe that the Skeksis are, you know, evil and what they're doing has gone too far, but they're not willing to take that step before this huge conference of them together and doing this huge ritual and all these sort of things. And meanwhile, the storm is looming and he's, that's making him nervous too <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i mean because i mean the main characters sort of yeah they do have concerns about the storm coming to the valley while you know ladowson's like yeah it's never happened before um as i mentioned i think earlier but yeah like amro is sort of certain that it, it's going to come to them and then we sort of come to this little bit of surprise that you know paris sort of i think all of a sudden he sort of like lunges at kylan and uh you know putting his sort of his short double-edged knife against the against Kylan's cheek um, as he tells them to, to come with him if they want to know why, why he, why Paris, you know, brought Kylan and, you know, and Naya and Amri and, you know, everyone to the Valley. Um, and then, yeah, it just sort of ends with, you know, he takes them all sort of towards the mountain as the, the raging storms uh, fill uh, the Valley. I think, you know, as we sort of, you know, we'll definitely find out like, you know, what's up with Paris and yeah I mean why that I think there was some kind of um reasoning why he you know actually brought them over to the valley in the first place um not only for the you know to reach out to the flames of resistance but sort of had his own reasons I think so yeah we'll definitely probably find that later on in the story and yeah I think that's probably a good time we'll wrap up for this episode of the gathering songs um thank you all so much for tuning in and um yeah nancy i just want to say thank you so much and and just want to know how how um the listeners um can can reach out to you oh thanks again for having me like i said um if you want to get in touch with me my website is nancygray.net 
I have a blog on nancygray.blogspot.com. And my name on Facebook is Writer Nancy Gray. Middle grade horror, if you like middle grade horror, my uh, Spine Chillers series is available on Amazon. And my, and if you like fantasy, my young adult trilogy, Blood Rain, is also available for purchase. And uh, Peter, just want to say thank you for being on the show. And how can readers um, find out more about um, what, what you do? Um, I'm currently working on my sci-fi trilogy. You can find out more at dwimsaga.com. That's D-W-I-I-M-Saga.com. I'm also on Twitter as at Peter M. Author, and it's E-H-M for my last name. So I really appreciate being here. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and yourself, uh, Dom, thank you for being on the show. And how can readers um, yeah, find out um, what you're up to? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I have a blog um, called Nerdy Views, just my last name and then Views, um, V-I-E-W-S. And um, sometimes I blog about whatever I'm reading. Um, also on Twitter, where I'll uh, sometimes make snarky comments about trends in pop culture that I like or don't like. Um, in terms of big projects, um, I have a paper about an article about Blade Runner coming out in a book, uh, Blade Runner 2049 and, and philosophy. And I think it's coming out later this year. Um, also work, also working on, um, a, in a volume of scholarship about Frank Herbert's Dune saga, which I'm really excited about. We just, we just received the submissions, uh, for the book and we have to go through them, but it looks, you know, a lot of really interesting um, scholars working on Dune, and a lot of really interesting ideas out there. And this will be the first edited volume of scholarship about Dune. So we're really excited about that. Awesome. And, um, and of course, like um, every, all these um, links will be in the show notes that you can, um, uh, yeah, find out. So, yeah, again, thank you so much. And um, stay tuned for the next episode of The Gathering Songs. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! So that's all the time that we have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. We're also on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. Um, If you enjoyed the show and think that others will love it too, uh, please write a review on iTunes or on Facebook as well. Um, I'll greatly appreciate that. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, hit the like button and subscribe. Thank you all so much and come back next time for more Trial by Stone.